Welcome back to Sixes and Sevens, brought to you by InvestoBet.com as we bring you all of the talking points from around the major leagues in European football. There's an international break coming up, uh, but there's plenty of club football action to get into from the last few days. We're going to be focusing on the Premier League and La Liga this week. Uh, Joining me to talk all things Premier League, fine freelance journalist, writer for uh, the main papers around the United Kingdom, Mr Nick Schipanik will be joining me on the show. Before that though, it's time we delved into a little bit of La Liga action as Barcelona continue to fire their way through with a 2-1 victory against Sevilla this week. Uh, Plenty more talking points to dive into as well from the weekend. I'm delighted to say that joining me on the show to talk all things Spanish football after Lionel Messi once again reached another landmark in his Barcelona career, 600 games now for the little Argentinian, is a man, is a very good friend of mine. Uh, We speak very regularly about all things Spanish football. It's very experienced, professional and a top-class football journalist. Uh, Mr Jason Pettigrove joining me on the line. Jason, how are you doing, mate? I'm good, thanks. I'm not sure the build-up was necessary, but thank you anyway. <laughs> uh, I've got to give, uh, I've got to give credit where credit's due, and uh, credit's certainly due with uh, with yourself, and uh, particularly with your knowledge of all things Spanish football at the moment. And it's um, it's proving to be a very interesting and intriguing season. The storylines going through La Liga so far in this campaign. Um, let's just quickly get this landmark for Messi out of the way, though, because there's been a lot yeah. written about 600 games for Lionel Messi, but. We've said so much about the Argentinian already in his career. It almost seems like this is just another, okay, tick the box, tick the box, tick the box. This is another landmark that we can just get on, get dusted with and out of the way and on to the next one and and on to the more important ones like trophies and goals scored and and things like that. Yeah, I think you've just sort of summed it up quite well. I mean, you know, goals-wise, assists-wise, everything else-wise that he does on the pitch. We all see it with our eyes week in, week out. And, you know, even now after 600 games, He's still doing stuff that gets us off off of our seats, you know, leaves us open mouth. I just think the fact, you know, 600 games, I think it is a big milestone. It should be celebrated. He's only got Andres Iniesta and Xavi ahead of him, both in La Liga appearances and total appearances. And frankly, you don't play 600 times for a team like Barcelona if you're not one of the very, very best. And as we all know, you know, we're living in his time. He is one of the very best. Uh, it's interesting, you mentioned Iniesta there and he came out and said on the weekend that Lionel Messi's 600 Barcelona appearance will pale into comparison to what he'll end up achieving. I mean, whatever he's already achieved, uh, 600 appearances pales into comparison of that. Um, in terms of Lionel Messi and his Barcelona side this weekend, a tough game that they had against Sevilla. And welcome back to the show, Paco Alcacer, with a brace to get them past Sevilla in a 2-1 victory. That's a guy we've not really seen and was very much the villain at times at Barcelona just, what, 12 months ago. It's funny how 12 months will just change a man slightly and, and, and perspectives around him too. A couple of goals will help that also. Yeah, I mean, he did what he had to do. He scored every time he started for Barcelona, so you can't really knock him as a, as a striker. I just think, um, you know, it's a, possibly a cynical opinion on my part, but I only think it's a shop window exercise. Um, he's not in Ernesto Valverde's long-term plans. I think as soon as um, uh, Dembele comes back, you know he's not going to get a look in. So I think you know perhaps he'll keep him in for a couple of games, see if he scores a couple of goals. It might add to his value, which has plummeted since he joined the club. And I think he'll be offloaded with one or two others in January. So you know, great for him, you know, to score those two goals to win 
Barcelona's game because, you know, that Sevilla got back into it for a while. It was looking like they might actually sort of forge ahead in the game, which would have been interesting to see how Barcelona would have reacted to that. But no, I mean, as I say, he did what he had to do. No more than that. And, you know, I think it's very sort of short termism. I don't see him being there in, in a couple of months time. God, that's like uh, just putting him out, putting a stool up basically around him and saying, look what we've got. We've got somebody who'll get your goals and win your games. Come on, come one, come all. Take him for a uh, cheap price just off our hands. I mean, Valverde, do you expect him to make a lot of changes in, in January in general? Because there's been a lot of talk about Deadwood at Barcelona and, and something needs to change. But there's also a lack of squad depth in that team. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. I don't think there'll be a lot of changes, maybe maybe one or two at, at the most, because I think, you know, he's got to look, you know, past January and look at the, the Champions League knockout stages. Barcelona, obviously, at the moment are flying in La Liga. But, you know, we're going to sort of go to sort of end of January, February. Are they still going to be there at that point? That's what, you know, that's really the time of the season when the squad depth comes into play, you know, when Copa del Rey fixtures need to be attended to as well. And, you know, at the moment, they are looking quite sort of thin on the ground. So, you know, let's see if Barca B can bring a, a player or two through. I know Carlos Alenia and uh, Pablo Anais have been looked at extensively with the B team. They're, they're playing well. They did uh, a good job again this weekend. But, no, look, Valverde's done everything he's had to do up till now. I think, you know, People with short memories will go back to the summer and think he was the safe choice for Barcelona. Everybody wanted Jorge Sampaoli because of the sort of the attacking way that he played, the exciting way that he played at Sevilla. But Valverde hasn't put a foot wrong. Every decision he's made so far has paid off. So, you know, you have to give him the benefit of the doubt and trust him. Didn't perhaps get the victory that he wanted though in the Champions League against Olympiacos and uh... Everybody going into that game was kind of saying, oh, Barcelona will just roll over an Olympiacos side that aren't expected to prove to be too much of a test when in a group that's also got Sporting Lisbon and Juventus in as well. But it, it wasn't quite all right on the night. Uh, Valverde will, have, I'm sure, be quite happy just to have come away with at least a point on the road in the Champions League. And road games in the Champions League are obviously very difficult with the travel, etc. But is that a slight blip on, on Valverde's kind of radar just at the moment? Depends which way you look at it. I mean, you know, complacency amongst the players, I think, could be partly to blame. And when you're playing as well as Barcelona have been, I mean, even, you know, with some of the other clubs around Europe, when you're on a a good run like that, quite often, you you know, you feel unbeatable and then it comes back to bite you in the, you know, the fixtures that you least expect it. So, you know, you have to take your hat off to Olympiacos. They, They dug in, you know, Barca weren't at their best, uh, but look, they didn't lose. They're still, uh, you know, they they can get a result against Juve and, and, and go through. You know, they could lose against Juve and still go through. So I think, you know, had it been towards the latter stages of the group stage and they'd have got that result, it may have been a problem for them. But they're going to qualify first or second. I don't think it matters to them which. So you can sort of park it, put it to one side, put it in the draw, put it down to experience. Valverde will have obviously got onto the players and told them what to work on, and, uh, you know, they go again. Eduardo Barriso, it's still just not going quite right for him at Sevilla since uh, since joining. It's a, a team that's had increased expectations with European success, of course, over the last few seasons, particularly in the Europa League, and going well in the Champions League last year uh, too. 
he's he's struggling when, since taking the reins this summer to to really find what he wants out of this severe side at sea. Yeah, I just think they've been two different teams home and away. They've done very, very well at the Ramos Sanchez Bisuan, but away from home they've been pretty abysmal. And uh I think when you when you look at some of the players that, that he's bought they need to be doing much, much better. You know, I, th- I think the, probably the issue for him is, from what I've seen of him, what we remember of him from his cell today, is he doesn't appear to have the capability of a team that can shut up shop when they need to. He's like a, uh, very much like Sampaoli in some ways, it's like all out attack uh, from first till last, when sometimes you know, you need to sit back, you need to perhaps put five in defence, even though it goes against everything you stand for as a coach, it's about winning games. And when you've lost four away games in the league on the trot, scoring only one goal, clearly something needs to change. So I think maybe his sort of paymasters will be looking at him, you know, the next sort of four to six weeks, you know, seeing how he gets a hold of it. He's he's not going to get the sack or anything like that, but, you know, there's been a hefty investment from Sevilla, and that, you know he needs to repay that. They're in sixth at the moment. You know they're only two points ahead of of Leganes, who are in ninth. So yeah, a couple of results here or there, and you know potentially they could be right down in mid table. And Sevilla certainly wouldn't have expected that before the start of the season. He was a man that struggled with, for instance, the juggling of multiple cup competitions last year, Barito, and uh, and put all his eggs into that Europa League basket. In the end, it led to a massive drop-off in their form in La Liga. And you just wonder again if he's a man that perhaps doesn't have the ideas and, and the capabilities to be able to adapt and change and, and fight on multiple fronts as well. be interesting to see uh, how Sevilla continue um, this, uh, this season. Of course, they did have a win in the Champions League against Moscow after the humiliating defeat they had in Russia uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, a leapfrogged as well by Villarreal this weekend after Villarreal got a 2-0 victory against Malaga. Uh, let's talk about Real Madrid. Let's talk about the problems that they've been having this season, Jason. Um, yep. And let's talk about that front two of Benzema and Ronaldo. I mean, Suarez at Barcelona has kind of gone slightly under the radar with a lack of goals because Barca are performing so well. Madrid haven't been able to win. They've been struggling at home. Uh, they were defeated, of course, in the Champions League against Tottenham. And now people are pointing fingers saying, well, and Ronaldo and Benzema aren't providing the goals either. And this weekend, another dry one for them. Yeah, I think, you know, we've sort of spoken privately about this. But as I said to you before, I don't think in Ronaldo's case, you know, you can blame him really. The guy's getting in the positions, he's getting his shots away. It's just unfortunately his accuracy has been a little bit off this season. He lives for his goals. He's not scoring any. He's only got one in the Liga. Collectively, Real as a group haven't performed well. You know, maybe that's down to injuries to key players. I'm not sure. Um, And again, you know, from a confidence point of view, it's odd to find so many players having a bit of a confidence blip all at one time. But footballers are an odd breed. You know, they rely on confidence when things are going for you, as like Valencia have shown. You know, your world's your oyster. But, you know, it's just it's just not going for them just at the moment. I'm looking at the stats from the last Palmas game. I mean, they laboured through a lot of that first half, but they still had 27 shots in the game. <laughs> Uh, yes, you could. Uh, if you, it depends, you know which side of the fence you sit on. You can say, okay, twenty-seven shots. You should be winning more than three nil. But the fact is, they got the three points. They didn't concede. You know, what more do you want? I suppose what you want is you want Real Madrid to be kind of flying forward in that 
almost like a flying V that we'd see with the front three of the BBC and obviously Bale's out at the moment but I guess that's what is almost always expected now with Real Madrid they do still have these two wonderful gems of players Isco of course has been having a great 18 months or so and continues to perhaps not be as hot as he was to start uh, the season in the back end of last year's campaign but is still producing great performances so far this year Marco Asensio as well this kid has a phenomenal boot particularly from range another great strike we saw him score some beauties in the uh, Spanish Super Cup he doesn't score tappings does he no I mean, it's, uh, it's distance or nothing with him absolutely and I think you know his goals and Isco's goals really are sort of holding them up at the moment I think uh, both of them have four they're the top scorers in the team at the moment and actually if I've have scored the same amount as Benzema, Ronaldo and Bale have collectively. So therein sort of lies the problem. A lot of the goals are coming from midfield, but thank God for Real that those goals are coming because, you know, if the midfield weren't firing them in as well, then there really would be issues. You know, they've scored 22 in 11 games, two per game. You can't really argue with that. I think the issue, as you rightly stated, is that Real are expected to perform in a, in a certain way, you know, it's not just to be able to win. You've got to win well. You've got to, you know, almost batter the opposition into submission, as it were. Um, that'll come. You know, we, we know this isn't going to last for the entire season. Um, it's just at the moment, you know, they're eight points behind Barcelona. They've got the Madrid derby coming up, which were they to lose, they'd then potentially be as many as 11 points behind them. So, you know, it's an interesting time, certainly, for for Real, for Atleti, even for Barca, because they're sitting pretty. But we we know that, you know, a bad result for them, even Valencia. I think they, Valencia and Atleti, are the three unbeaten teams. So what's going to happen when they do lose a game? Are they going to have a crisis of confidence and maybe lose another one quickly afterwards? We're still very early into the season. So I think, you know, another sort of two or three months and then we can sort of sit back and, and, and reassess and and see who can push on from that point and, and sort of take things into the business end. Making La Liga sound like a very fragile league indeed. You know, you pull one card away and the rest of the house will fall as well, kind of thing with uh, with Barcelona, uh, as you as you touched on there, Jason. Um, just finally with Real Madrid, does anybody... The trouble is, is that the, the finger of blame is always pointed as soon as things start to go wrong, particularly at the big clubs, very quickly. Does anybody questions Zinedine Zidane and the way he's handling this he's got a lot to deal with in terms of injuries um you, you know that back line hasn't been consistent with being able to have a setback for a lot of the time this season uh Modric has had his time away with uh, with Knox and injury we mentioned Gareth Bale isn't about the place either at the moment he's having to use the full depth of that squad already this campaign but it's a squad that in theory should be performing better than it has done even with the uh, the supposed dregs of it playing does anybody just question Zidane at the moment this year i think they have but then i think they had been questioning him before i think you know there's dare i say it, a little bit of a tactical tactical naivety about him but you know obviously whereas before Rao were you know were, were winning virtually every week or you know getting the results they needed now when they're not getting the results that his sort of shortcomings are being exposed but I think from a club point of view I mean he's a club legend he has this hold over his players that virtually no one else will be able to have particularly because of how he was as a player what he won as a player who he is to Madrid as well Um, so I think look you've got to give him the benefit of the doubt you can't 
I know what football's like nowadays. It's very sort of immediate. You want to get rid of somebody mm-hmm. as soon as there's any, you know, bad result. I mean, look what happened to Ancelotti uh, when he was there, and he'd only just won the the Champions League. I, I think they'll give him to at least the end of the season. I'd like to think, you know, they'll they'll let let him see out his contract because you know he, he's he's a good coach, you know, tactically not the best, but look. He's a Real Madrid legend. You've got to give the guy a break, and, <laughs> and 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 you know this is the first blip he's had. I mean, he, I think he's only lost is it one or maybe two more games than trophies he's won. How can you be questioning a, a guy at the, at this stage? Cheers for uh, for making sure we all keep our kind of heads on uh, in with the reactionary uh, comments to Zinedine Zidane, a couple that have flown around. But in fairness, there hasn't been too much uh, kind of disgust and frustration at the Frenchman and the job he's doing at Real Madrid, and, and rightfully so, as you say, Jace. So just finally then, Valencia. I mean, everybody is waiting for the bubble to burst on this side because it always does at Valencia. They always have struggles, uh, and the struggles seem to outweigh the good times. It's been a long good time, though, to start this campaign, and they're really enjoying it at the Mestalla. There's a big game coming up, as you touched on, uh, against Barcelona uh, after the international break, a few weeks after the international break, not immediately. There's another big game, of course, coming up with an all-Madrid derby uh, straight after the international break, and uh, whoever loses that could be about 11 points behind Barcelona. But in terms of Valencia... Will this bubble burst? I mean, when you're getting the best out of someone like Zaza consistently in front of goal, something special is happening. Yeah, well, I think it is. The, 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 let me get my words out. The sustainability and the consistency is the only thing that's going to stop them from from winning something this year. Because, you know, Marcelino's come in. You know, let's not forget, he's just equaled a 70-year-old record of seven wins in a row. I think he's also... Uh, drawn alongside Rafa Benitez, his best start from the beginning of a season. When you have that against what was going on, like the internal strife in the background, the issues with Jorge Mendes, you know, Peter Lim, there was so much going on off of the pitch that, you know, almost it was like coming onto the pitch was an extension of what was happening in the rest of the club. Marcelino's come in, he sort of swept everything away. He's got the players to focus on just playing football some fantastic uh, sort of loan buys that he's got. Uh, Uedes, Condogbia particularly, uh, have been fantastic. Zaza, you mentioned, obviously, is I think he's still only second to Messi in terms of goal scored in La Liga. They haven't lost, so we'll see when they do lose how that affects them. But they've scored as many as Barcelona have. They've scored 30 goals this season. You know, they've let in 11, so they're slightly more leaky in defence. But let's enjoy the ride for want of a better phrase <laughs> you know we 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 we're all so quick to sort of come down on them when the likes of Neville and Esteran were were coaching them and so oh yeah well that's that's Valencia all over isn't it well look the glory times could be just around the corner again i mean people are comparing you know the times of sort of Villa Mata and Silva and i don't think that's an unfair comparison either so really up until christmas the first couple of games into the new year will sort of set their stall out. If they're still where they are or not far off where they are at that point, then I think, you know, they can push on and really do some damage in the league. Uh, just finally, Jason, I know you and I were chatting off air about this. Uh, there's a there's a little stat that you want to kind of chuck in from, uh, from the La Liga weekend and one that's perhaps not around the big names in La Liga, but certainly one that you've been kind of dying to get out. 
<laughs> yes, uh, Mr. Cedric Bacambu, uh, Villarreal striker. Um, a hat trick at the weekend, and all three were offside. And as far as I'm aware, I've, I've had a look this morning. I can't see it anywhere else. We believe that's the first time in, <coughs> excuse me, in a league of history that that's ever happened. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't like to have been in his shoes after that. Yeah, that's uh, tough going for uh, for Cedric Bukambu. Jason, I could spend another 20 minutes, half an hour talking to you about La Liga and everything that's going on, particularly with uh, with Sevilla, with Athletic Club, with, uh, with Celta Vigo. But unfortunately, I know you're a busy man and we've got to move on as well here on the show. But really appreciate you, uh, you joining us, mate. Where can, uh, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, it's just very simply at Jason Pettigrove. It's all one word, all lowercase. And he's a blue tick as well. He's got that blue tick. Uh, congratulations, Jason, on the blue tick, mate. And uh, look forward to catching up with you again very soon, man. OK, thanks for having me on, Ollie. Take care. Thanks very much. Jason Pettigrove there uh, joining us on sixes and sevens to look back at all of the La Liga action from the weekend, or at least the best of it, because we are, uh, as I say, running out of time with him. Um, and we will continue to dive and delve our way through the major European leagues when we return here on sixes and sevens. And we're going to be looking back at the Premier League action with Mr Nick Schapanik when we return here. <laughs> You're listening to Sixes and Sevens, the weekly football podcast by Investabet. Welcome back to Sixes and Sevens here, brought to you by Investobet. And it's time we had a look at the Premier League. Another wild weekend that has bled into Monday with Slavon Bilic being dismissed as West Ham manager. Here to talk about all of that and a little bit more is a very fine freelance journalist indeed, who I know reasonably well. We go back a fair few years now. Mr Nick Schipanik joining me on the show. Nick, how are you doing, mate? I'm doing well, yes. Yeah, it is a few years, isn't it? Time time flies when uh, when you're having fun in the in the Premier League and everywhere, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun for, for plenty in the Premier League at the moment, but not for West Ham and West Ham fans right now. And we will start, I guess, there uh, with the happy hammers or not so happy hammers. Slavan Bilic finally removed after weeks of speculation that his time was up and he was done and dusted uh, in London. And... Uh, Kind of about time that there was a change, really. You feel it's the right move for West Ham to make, considering the, the struggling start they've had to the season. It's really been terrible at times defensively. Yeah, no, they, I've, I've seen them a couple of times, and um, they've been an absolute shambles. And I think a telling fact is that, that they, they let three goals slip at Southampton, and really nobody does that. I mean, bear <laughs> in mind, you know, how easy it is to shut Southampton out uh, at St Mary's. And um, no, ridiculous, naive defending. And, and uh, it's just—it's always baffled me that you know an international uh, centre half that Bilic was presides over such um, in a basket case of a defence. You know that, and you look at the players individually: Zabaleta, uh, Reed, you know Cresswell. They're, they're good players, and you know Joe Hart has his critics, but you know there's an experienced goalkeeper there. And but you know there, there's—I'm never really sure what's happening in front of that de- that defence. You know, I really like uh, Kuyate. I think he's a fantastic player. But somehow, you know, it just doesn't gel. It doesn't look like an organised structure at the back there. And, you know, every team must fancy their chances of scoring against them. You know, there are, there are gaps the way they defend set plays. Um, no, it, it, I think it's it probably got to the point where if someone needs to come in and take a completely fresh look at it, start from scratch. And um, it's a shame because... I don't know a journalist who doesn't look forward to, to Slavin Bilic's press conferences, you know, either at, uh, at Rush Green or post-match. Um, I think it was last season after they'd won 
Southampton. He, he came into the into the small sort of media room off the main media room where, where the managers talked to, to the Monday press and sat down, took his jacket off, and you thought, brilliant, you know, he's here for a while, you know, and it was tremendous, you know, 20 minutes of talk, and, you know, he looks you in the eye, you know, he talks to you, he doesn't shy away from questions. So from that point of view, you know, he'll be a loss, but um, I can see why West Ham fans won't uh, won't mourn his, his passing. And, you know, the, the Chicharito, you know, what's he done all season? There's a natural goal scorer, doesn't seem to score any goals. <laughs> Baffling. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of sums up the wild world of football in that Bilic was the toast of the town after his performances in front of the TV camera during the European Championships in France and... Uh, and a West Ham side that going into last season, everybody thought, yeah, you know, moving to this new stadium, the bright and bold future ahead with Bilic leading them into uh, the promised land, if you will. This is a side that could be up around, you know, easily mid-table and, and trying to push on a little further. And, and it's just been slightly disastrous since the move. It was initially blamed the stadium and now and now Bilic is taking the rap. And after being, as I say, the darling of the Premier League, it's a completely flipped on its head if you will uh well whatever they say about that stadium you know it's it's not a comfortable place to be um the the, the program for the home match with brighton i think there was um sullivan's column was yeah now we're at home you know, at, the, at the london stadium now you know we feel comfortable there and i think Belich in his evening standard column um the day before or might even been the same day it being a friday was saying yeah you know we look forward to playing at london stadium <laughs> and you just thought pull the other one you know yeah. you know they're, they're all protesting too much it's still and um, you know it's just an inconvenient uncomfortable place to be i mean the, i've 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 had a bit uh, well I've felt closer to the, the pitch outside some stadiums than <laughs> than you do in the press box there and it, uh, it's I was talking, um, I think, to to a colleague um, the other day about about this, and you think what Upton Park could have been if they'd stayed there, um, pulled the pitch nearer to the main stand, rebuilt the old um, chicken run on the far side, you know, and, and had a fantastic enclosed ground that, like Upton Park used to be, you know, with a forty thousand crowd in the heart of East London, you know, where they've always been, just around the corner from. From the Bobby Moore and um, uh, you know Peters and, and her statue, you know, round the corner from where Casatari's cafe used to be when Malcolm Allison and and um, all those you know those guys who those West Ham players who became managers where they used to sort of sit around talking tactics and using you know salt and pepper as as, as players to, to to talk about formations, you know they just they they've moved out of out of the heart of, of their community. Echo Stratford's not that far away, but it's a very, very different feeling in that place. You know, Arsenal and Tottenham, um, you know, uh, will move, but a matter of a couple of hundred yards. And that's completely different. You know, you, you'd, you'll still be going to White Hart Lane Station or walking up the Tottenham High Road. You still can go to Finsbury Park or Arsenal on the, on the tube and, and walk past the same programme sellers that you're used to when they're playing at Highbury. And, I, I, you know, you can, you know, why they they said they made the move, you know, for financial reasons and in theory to become a bigger club. But I think they've they've hurt themselves badly with that move. I think what sums it up is uh, I was lucky enough to be at the first game home game there in the Premier League for West Ham against Bournemouth, and coming out of the game, uh, there were a group of West Ham fans on a fairground ride, which every time it came round, you just heard them saying, "Ah, 
Oh, and, and the thought of that <laughs> outside Upton Park, you wouldn't have believed it four years ago. A group of West Ham fans chanting on a, on a fairground ride right outside the ground. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a whole heap of change there. And as you say, you're very far away from the pitch. My, my other idea, Nick, was to uh, basically retake the chicken run and stick it just down one of the sides uh, inside the <laughs> Olympic Stadium, make it like an over sixties only. You can smoke and drink in there as much as you want. Yeah, you know, the yeah. co- heritage heritage football stand. Yeah, no, that would be great. Wouldn't it? <laughs> well, I just I mean, the thing that really gets me about that place is uh, okay. You know, when when they redeveloped Upton Park, the um, you know the pitch is further away from the main stand, but you know it's 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 a long walk to the technical area from the dugout. And I remember when Masari was there at Watford as Watford manager last. Season. He just he went out to talk to some players and came turned round looked at how far the dugout was away and just decided to stay there for the rest of the game. <laughs> Admittedly, he's he's in the technical area, you know, on, on his feet most of the time as Conte is. But you know that it you think you know why go back there unless it's actually raining? You know you'd actually, mm. you might as well stay there. And how can a manager see that far away and that low down? Really, what's going on? Probably have to watch no. it on the uh, on the big screen. Regardless of uh, of what's happening there in the dugout, there is going to be a new face. Uh, in, in that West Ham home uh, dugout at the London Stadium. Um, expected to be David Moyes. I mean, people were talking about the contracts were already being discussed yesterday before Bilic's official uh, sacking today on Monday. Um, David Moyes, a step forward, a step back for, for the club, for him, for, for uh, both parties? A step forward for him. step forward for him after Sunderland. Um, Sunderland is, uh, you know, has a mm. reputation as being a very, very difficult club to manage. Um I've known a couple of former manager, former Sunderland managers, you know, reasonably well, and, and what they said, you know, that, that that certain players seem to run the dressing room, and um, you know, they, they they thought they would be the, the person to tame it, but you know, it just couldn't, it just couldn't be done. I think, you know, some of those players have gone now, but it seems to have left a sort of residue of. of you know, just a bad feeling around the place. I believe that as we speak, they're bottom of the championship now and you know, you just wonder how far they can fall. Um, mm. it, it's another place that needs a clear out. Um, some, you know, there's something not right about, about the whole the whole club. I mean, admittedly, you know, the other day I heard someone on the radio complaining that the crowds had fallen to just 26,000. And you think, OK, 26,000 in the in the Stadium of Light is, is rattling around a bit. But, uh, you know, plenty of clubs would idea. be quite <laughs> pleased with that. But, you know, for for the the passion that there is for the club on Weir's side, you know that that is quite an alarming thing, and I'm afraid you know it, it comes down to ownership moving in and and perhaps you know expecting things to be done the way they're done in in other countries. And um, we're talking about American owners, and a lot of American money has come into various football clubs. And okay, you know I think Liverpool would probably say they've done fairly well out of it, but how do Arsenal feel? Uh, Arsenal fans feel about Stan Kroenke and what's the mood at Swansea and Crystal Palace at the moment, you know, from the American, um, in quotes, investment that they've had. Um, it's, you know, you, I think you, you know, you need to look long and hard at the sort of investment that's coming into a club if uh, if you go down that road. Mm. Uh, obviously, you know, it, it's, it's the temptation to get big money and to compete, um, you know, with the, the, the naturally large constituencies is very tempting but you really need to think hard about it and what it's going to mean for the club uh, in terms of uh, the other end of the table then as sorry well, Joey we were talking about we were say. talking about David Moyes um, 
Yeah, I mean, so, I'm more than happy to chat about Sunderland. People as well. are damned by their last couple of jobs, and you know, Manchester United and 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 uh, Sunderland, um, but two difficult clubs to manage in many ways. And, and if you look further back towards what he did at Everton, um, then you know the, it, that ability, you know, to to do what he did there is still in inside David Moyes somewhere. If he if he, if he can rediscover it and uh, and apply it at West Ham, then you think they've they've got half a chance. Let's hope uh, that Moyes can work his magic once again, because it's been a while since we've seen his magic, of course, his time at Manchester United and in Spain as well, uh, with Real Sociedad and, of course, uh, his uh, his trip north to Sunderland too. Uh, let's go north and go up the table then. There were some big clashes uh, towards the top of the table this weekend. Chelsea against Manchester United, another loss on the road against the big six for Mourinho in the Premier League. and uh, And Chelsea really wasn't the most convincing 1-0 victory that you'll ever see, but... United weren't great, and uh, Mourinho's under a, a little bit of pressure in terms of his results against the big sides in the Premier League and how he approaches these games as well. No, I know. It, it's strange, isn't it? You, he's, he's always been cautious. That's in his character. But, um, you know, you, you, you began to wonder when he went, it was very cautious away to Liverpool. Now, I mean, the, the Liverpool defence, um, you know, when you, get, when you think about some of the people who can deliver a dead ball in that Manchester United team and, and you know, some of their the players they've got who can attack a, a corner or a free kick, you'd have expected him to go there and have much more of a go. And yet he was very, very conservative. Liverpool's defence was barely asked any questions at all. And as we've seen, you know, they, they often don't have the answers when people do ask them the questions. So that was a sign. Um, you know, with all his baggage with Chelsea, especially after they were reeling after what happened to them midweek, you just thought he'd have gone with more adventure. But in the end, it ends up with a long ball towards the head of Marouane Fellaini, doesn't it? And okay, that nearly nearly got him something towards the end. But when you think of the outlay, you know, the investment, and you know what, what he considers his coaching skills, you know, surely the United fans have got to be entitled to a bit better than that. I mean, you know, I must say, I've put a little bit of money on them. I fancied them to possibly upset um, all the predictions about City this season, but um, I think I've probably wasted the money. It's uh, it must be frustrating for United fans as well to see that talent, as you mentioned it. You know, Mkhitaryan, who when he well, is on fire, it's frustrating for people who aren't fans. <laughs> you know, I'm you know, I I I wouldn't quite describe myself as a member of the anyone but United fan. But you know, that you, there are clubs where you just think, you know, it's it's frustrating for a neutral to watch, or what it must be like for supporters. Arsenal, another one. You know, everybody knows what's wrong with the Arsenal team, except. Arsene Wenger, and you think, well, you know, surely you've got to buy the sort of players that that everyone knows you need. You don't want to buy another, you know, small, uh, good in possession midfield player, do you? Really? <laughs> but uh, you know, the, he seems to, you know, he's got a collection of them, and he doesn't seem to want to do anything but add to them. You know, let's have a proper centre half. Let's have a good defensive midfield player. Oh no, no, we'll buy, we'll buy. I don't know. Well, and, he, and oh, Arsene Wenger not by, by another another Mesut Ozil, please. Wenger not playing his new signing either against Manchester City this week. Oh. I mean, Lacazette sat on the bench. Sanchez leading the line on his own with Ozil and Iwobi behind him. Now, no disrespect yeah. to Alex Iwobi, but it's not when you've got out and out forwards uh, on the bench and Giroud and Lacazette and Lacazette yeah. was brought in for I mean, these I, guys. I don't know whether the plan was to. I mean, I can sometimes see the point of having a, a good forward on the bench. Um, you know, when you're you're harder running forwards, less skillful forwards possibly have have tired the defence out, and then you unleash 
you know, some forward talent on, on a, on a defence that's tiring. But, you know, the City defence is never going to look tired, is it? Because, you know, they spend their time just sort of standing around passing the ball from one to another. And, and you know, the, the, the tired defenders are usually on, on the, the team uh, facing them. So, no... Um, and what does it say to, to to Lacazette? You know, you're you cost fifty million, but you know you're not not worthy of a start ahead of Alex Iwobi. Great for Iwobi, uh, not great for the fans, possibly. Not great for Arsenal with that three-one defeat. I mean, City now just just looks so good, and it was after a few weeks early on in the season, United or City, who's going to win the title? And with United still mm. just being that cautious side against the big teams, yeah. and City on the other how hand, many, how many are City going to win the title by? That's the that's the question. I mean. I'm a Brighton fan, and we're now thinking, God, our 2 0 home defeat to the Man City on the, the opening <laughs> day, that looks like the result of the season. You know, forget any wins, you know, only, only losing 2 0 the City. The trouble is, we've still got to go up there. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, if Kevin De Bruyne doesn't win Football of the Year, I mean, I, I could cast my vote now, uh, frankly. Um, mm. But then there's always the possibility that that one of the other players will, you know, go on an unbelievable scoring run or. You know, create ten goals in five games, and you know, but yeah, at the moment, you know, De Bruyne looks looks so tremendous, and you, you just think, what were Chelsea doing? You know, okay, everyone makes mistakes, but you know, he was he was never a bad player, and you know, some of the players they decide to keep, well, I don't know, well, uh, but you know, look at Chelsea's Chelsea's wealth of young players. I mean, presumably somewhere in in there, you know, it, it, they, there'll be one they let go that comes back to haunt them, but um, I suppose they'll. Always be able to go and buy somebody else. Well, they had about half of that England under seventeen World Cup final team as well. They'll probably never Indeed. get a chance at Chelsea. So uh, less than about them bringing the youth players through the uh, the better, I think, as it's been discussed a lot. Uh, let's talk about Brighton then. They're in that best of the rest category. I mean, Nick, any Brighton fan would have ripped your arm off and run away with it, shaking, uh, shouting oh. yippee yippee at this. If you said Absolutely eighth in the no. table at this point, yeah. I mean, I think that that. There were lots of people, you know, rushing to, to write them off because of, of a lack of a Premier League experience in, in the team. And, you know, there were, there were fears, of course. Um, but I think we've, we've learned to trust uh, Chris Hewton's judgment on uh, on many things. And if he thought that the players were good enough, then uh, they're good. I mean, there was a couple of um, uh, failed uh, transfer bids, not only players failing medicals at Brighton, but players unable to come to to Brighton because the, the players desired to replace them at other clubs failed medicals. So that's some bad luck. But then that's been good luck for Glenn Murray, who's uh, pretty much unassailed as the starting centre forward. And, uh, you yeah, know, one or two um, less heralded um, buyers like Christian Gross. We heard about him um, quite early on, I think before last season had finished, that, uh, the, you know, Tony Bloom's um, stats people had thrown him up as the, the leading creator of chances in the Bundesliga. And, uh, also discovered he had this clause in his contract which uh, enabled us to buy him for three million pounds. And um, up to a couple of weeks ago, he'd actually had a foot in every goal Brighton had scored. He'd either scored them or, or, or created them or, or taken the, the set piece that led to them. So, um, you know, if, if he can keep that up and people don't get too wise to him, that's uh, that's great. And of course, the centre halves, we you know Duff, Duffy and Dunk. I mean, we knew we, they were good, but uh, you always wonder if they're going to struggle against at a higher level. But uh, so far. No, and um, you know everyone's talking about them. Yeah, so far so good for uh, for Brighton. It's also it's, yeah helping my book sales as well because um, <laughs> I did write a, a promotion book called Brighton Up, available in all good booksellers and uh, at certain uh, internet outlets. But uh, no, you know that was um, the, the club were, were 
very happy to give me sort of full access to all the players and coaches and everything. And uh, you know, you thought, well, you know, let's hope hope to sell as many copies as possible before they lose five in a row. But uh, so far, that hasn't happened. And the shock to the system may just come around the December period as uh, some of the bigger sides get set to take on Brighton with United away uh, looming on the horizon, Liverpool at yeah. home, and then into December with Tottenham uh, and Chelsea on Boxing Day as well. Away from home will be a tough one. But yeah, look like of course, well, I think I think the last three games, uh, four of the last. Three of the last four games, I think, are Manchester United, Liverpool and Tottenham. So um, let's hope we're safe by then. <laughs> oh, and, and the other one is Burnley. When he, and you think, oh, well, that's the easy one. Well, I'm not so sure if Sean Dyche stays there. I mean, mm. I saw Burnley on uh, on Saturday at Southampton and they rode their luck at times. But, you know, what an, an incredible job. And the only thing, you know, you can say about Sean Dyche is, you know, why haven't, hasn't the big club taken him before now? OK, he may well go. Um, but you know, what are people waiting for? Is it that he hasn't spent a lot of money anywhere? Is it you know um, lack of sort of international knowledge? But he's done a tremendous job at Burnley. It's the uh, it's the marketing and media people saying, well, we can't really market. Burnley manager joins us, and and Sean Dyche's voice isn't great for the sound bites at the best of times. Sure. Manager <laughs> manager of seventh place, Burnley um, level on points with, with the Champions League position. Yeah, that yeah, works. That works. Way with, of selling it. <laughs> that works with the marketing guys, doesn't it? He uh, doesn't. He doesn't. Um, he doesn't come across in those very brief sound bites on Match of the Day very well. But when you talk to him, you know, there's, there's a very very intelligent guy there who's thought it all out. Um, and he knows who he is. He knows what he's doing. And um, if, if you, you talk about all those clubs who are looking for centre forwards, and oh, Everton haven't signed a forward. Well, you know, Deitch has, has got loads of them. You know, he's got Vokes, he's got Barnes. He could afford to bring Wood on, Wood off, and, and put two other centre forwards on, and play two up front for the last ten minutes. Uh, he doesn't seem to have any problem finding a decent Premier League forward. Yeah, and uh, and Burnley have no problem finding their form this season either. Nick, uh, massive thanks for uh, joining us on the show, mate. Really appreciate you taking some time out to chat a little bit of Brighton and everything else around the Premier League. And we still wait to see who Everton will bring in as their manager. Will it be Sean Dyche or not? They had a victory, of course, on the weekend. But uh, big thanks, mate. Uh, hope the book sales continue to go up and hopefully they will after <laughs> after the plug on the show. And, Absolutely uh, right. Hopefully yeah. uh, chat to you soon, mate. OK, mate. Great pleasure. Cheers. Thanks a lot there. Uh, Nick Schapanik joining us on the show. And taking us through the murky waters of the Premier League. And that's where we will leave it for today. And we will leave it with Manchester City riding high atop the English top flight. They are now 31 points after 11 games. 10 victories, 1 draw and 38 goals scored. It is the best start to a Premier League season ever. Manchester United behind them with Tottenham after their victory against Crystal Palace lurking in third place just on goal difference. Chelsea with their big win against United now just a point off those two. Liverpool in fifth, Arsenal sixth, and then seventh and eighth, Burnley and Brighton. All doom and gloom still for Palace, Swansea and West Ham making up the bottom three with Bournemouth and West Brom just a point off third from bottom. The international break's coming. We will be having a break from the domestic games all around Europe, but we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time to talk about the return of the domestic campaign. Until then, have a very good week. Enjoy the international break. Feet up and a cup of coffee and a chance to watch some of the best in the world try and fight it out for a place at the World Cup.
In the meantime, during the break, remember to get on to investobet.com. That's investobet.com. Get on to IBFootball on Twitter. That's at IBFootball or at Investobet as well to follow us there. Uh, you can follow myself on O underscore J underscore Wilson. That's O underscore J underscore Wilson. And, of course, uh, you can like, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Until next week, enjoy the break. Have a good one.